0: Episode 187 of Speaking of Mysteries I'm Nancy Clare and joining me is Heather Chavez Whose debut crime fiction novel, No Bad Deed, has just been published Welcome Heather uh, Thank you for having me And congratulations, it's a big thing to get a book published So big congratulations on that (laughs) Thank you um, I think I ask this question of every journalist who's taken the dive into writing crime fiction. Uh, what made you say to yourself, but what I really want to do is write a mystery? <laughs> Um, I actually
1: have always really wanted to write a mystery. I, I worked on them even when I was a journalist, um, and I was a reporter for a bit, and then I switched to the editing side of it solely because I felt that the writing part of it was Um, Kind of sapping some of my creativity that I wanted to channel into these, you know, twisty thrillers. Um, So um, I, you know, I'd always wanted to write uh, thrillers, but when I was a journalist, I think um, it became even more my desire became even more intense because, you know, in journalism, as you know, there there's a lot of that first layer of who, what, when, and you know, you don't have a lot of the depth into the psychology usually of why, why, you know, and that, you know, that part of it is always the part that interested me most, you know, what, what makes people do the things that they do and, and, you know, hurt people they profess to care about. And, um, so being around all these stories where, you know, I imagined scenarios of, uh, things happening um, in these people's lives who did these terrible things that made me realize, yeah, I really need to be writing these books, (laughs) you know, where I can explore the why, because, um, that's, that's a little less, you know, done in journalism. It's more about getting the news and the facts and being objective. Um,
0: and then there's that whole, uh, you know, you can't make stuff up in journalism or or you shouldn't They're really picky about that. Or you should, let's put it this way. (laughs) You shouldn't. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the cast of characters in No Bad Deed is extraordinary, not to put too fine a point on it. And first, there's Cassie Larkin, uh, a veterinarian, who, on her way home from a long day at her clinic, stops to save a young woman being brutally attacked. And and it all goes downhill (laughs) literally and figuratively from there.
1: Yes, she has a very bad day followed by a very bad week. Um yeah, I I she um you know, I don't know, but you know, if you read or heard about how I got the idea, but um No, I'm hoping of, you'll
0: share that now actually.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm happy to. Um so I was picking my daughter up um at after school care and there was this young man, probably a young kid, I should say, about maybe fourteen, who was walking and then suddenly these two other boys about the same age just descended and attacked. And it was this brief moment of what do I do um, and all these questions, you know, should I call 911? one, do I get out of the car? Because they're kids, but they're, you know, they're kind of big boys too. And, um, but it ended just as quickly as it had started. I mean, they just scattered and I, I mean, it was just a second or two. I was just so quick before my mind even really had a time to process what was, what was really happening. And so then, um, I had been working on another novel, Uh, That just was not working. And uh, so I went home and I'm just, you know, obsessed with this idea of what caused um, that altercation, you know, what, what caused it and, and how should I have acted? What should I mean? Obviously I was getting ready to call 911, but also if my daughter was in the car, would I behave differently? Because, you know, as a mom, our first priority is, you know, just taking care of the kids and keeping them safe. Um, but then what if somebody else's kid, you know, was in danger, um, and mine wasn't there to protect, would I have acted differently? And then of course it became that whole, you know, um, story that became no bad deed. And I think the first line of the book is the only line that pretty much it came to me, it stuck. Um, you know, if my kids had been in the car, it wouldn't have happened. And that's, you know, I think that's one of the few lines I never toyed with. It just, it was there from the beginning because it, it was, a you know, part of this idea that came to me that day.
0: And I think um, in the case of Cassie, who has two children, uh-huh. um, this is one of the motivating factors for the story. It's one of the things that from, from which every action she takes and we'll get into that a little bit more after a little bit later, is motivated, but since you mentioned it, is motivated by how is this going to impact and or protect my children?
1: Yes. I, I, you know, in some ways I think Cassie's a little reckless. Um, she's not me. You know, I might have stayed in the car, Um but then I might not have, you know, I, I think of that all the time. Like would I've done the same thing as Cassie and would I, um, how far would I go to protect my kids? And I think when you have something like that happen, um, you, you can kind of go further than you think you can. Um, you know, everybody has a dark side. And that's actually kind of what appealed to me about this story is the duality of like, everyone has a good side. Everyone has a bad side. And sometimes people do the wrong things for the right, vice versa. And, um, you know, obviously protecting her children is, you know, a right thing for her to do. Um, and, uh, she is very determined that, to do that. Um, and she's, you know, much, like I said, stronger, more agile, you know, more capable of physically protecting her kids. Um, but she's also, you know, mentally, you know, she's strong. In fact, you know, she starts out thinking that her intellect is, is, Kind of what she's relied on for so many years. You know, she's a veterinarian. She's always tried to, you know, solve problems using her, her brain, and and um, and then she realizes maybe that isn't going to work this time. Um, so yeah, I was very intrigued by how far you would go to protect your kids because I think that pretty much informs a lot of parents, <laughs> a parents' um, way of thinking and.
0: And then there's the attacker, uh, whose name is Carver Uh Sweet. And he is a nemesis Uh I I wouldn't wish on anyone that I can mention. He's cunning and relentless. And uh, when Cassie confronts him during their initial encounter where he's attacking this young woman, Carver, for reasons completely unknown to Cassie, gives her sort of Sophie's Choice that has no good options. And then it seems like his sole purpose is nothing less than the complete and utter destruction of Cassie and everything she loves and and I thought that was such a propulsive uh beginning to the book I mean it really just throws you right into it.
1: well, thank you, yeah, I mean the I really tried to get in her head with this because as somebody who's like trained to heal and she's a born caretaker. I mean, she, you know, she's not going to let somebody die. She's even if her, her own family is threatened. I mean, I don't think she has it in her to just stand back and watch something terrible happen. And so that's what motivates her to, to not only act then, but then to also, everything she does from that point forward is, is, I think there are points when she regrets that, you know, Mm -hmm. Hey, maybe I should have handled it a little differently, but you know, she is a little, like I said, she can be a little rash and, um, and she sometimes leads with, you know, her emotional impulses. And um, I think that's something we can probably all relate to at least a little bit. So,
0: and you know, I, I don't mean to make this sound like it's a straightforward story, you know that's highly linear because it's not these are all complicated characters and Cassie has um as you've alluded to for want of a better description she has issues <laughs> <laughs> and so i, I yes, have to she does <laughs> i have to ask from where in your imagination did Cassie come from and and i mean the whole package of her of her you know she's intelligent she's caring uh but she's Definitely got an edge. She does, yes. Um, You know, I I had
1: somebody ask me recently, is Cassie, do you know anybody like Cassie? Is she, you know, inspired by anybody in your life? And um, I think bits and pieces of her are, but um, I've always been intrigued with, you know, people behaving in ways you might not expect them to. And, um, you know, here's this... Mom, you know she's a veterinarian. She's very like professional, and you know she has a happy marriage. She thinks, and <laughs> you know even though there's a few bumps in the road lately, and so she's she pretty pretty normal, average. You know she's not um, she's not the you know she's not a CIA operative. She's not a you know somebody who has training in this kind of thing, and so I was just really interested in how your past and how all these things that happen to you, how they emerge when you're in a crisis situation, because, um, I, th- I think they kind of do. I think you're y- who you are and who you have been, uh, kind of emerges when you're, um, when you're in a situation like that. So I kind of drew on just extreme emotions, um uh definitely I'm not like Cassie. I don't really know anybody who's like Cassie, but I would like to have Cassie in my corner if something like that happened for sure.
0: Well, you know, I've I've talked to a lot of writers about their characters and, and characters uh are not particularly malleable. You know, even though you invented them and even though you, you know, you are sort of their creator, you're their Zeus, uh once they have been created like you know, uh, humans, they tend to say and do what they are going to say and do. And I have a feeling that is especially the case with Cassie. And I would think there might have been times in the writing where uh, you might have wanted Cassie to do something. And she just sort of said, no, I don't think I'd do that. Yeah, that,
1: that, that is true. And I wrote um, in the first draft, I wrote, she was much, much less Cassie. Like I will say she was more passive. Um, the first draft actually was a three person Carver, Brooklyn and Cassie, uh, third, um, third person, three points of view. And in the second draft, um, I kind of just, I think it was second, or, between second and third, I just tossed out Carver and Brooklyn's point of view, um, and just, honed in on Cassie. And once I did that, she's, you know, I had this whole thing mapped out because, you know, Hey, the book was, was done, but then it wasn't because I cut two thirds of it, but you know, I had ideas like she was going to do this and that. And I, she was, and she did not do those things at all. Once I got rid of the competing points of view and, you know, they were telling a lot of her story. And once I, let her tell her story, if that makes sense. Um, she became a much stronger character. Her voice became clearer to me, um, but unfortunately, she also started doing
0: things that I was like,
1: "Oh, I didn't plan for that."
0: Really? Um, you know, you really gonna <laughs> do? We should mention that uh, Brooklyn is the name of the young woman that uh, Carter is attacking. Carver, yes. excuse me, is attacking.
1: Yes. She's the victim that night.
0: So, you also did something I found, as a Californian at least, you did something very interesting with the story's location. The world considers the area around Santa Rosa, California, where the story takes place, as sort of this fabled wine country, uh, and it's a rarefied Olympus-like setting. In your story, it's where people live. There are markets, cafes, Uh gas stations, you humanize the location, and in fact, in fact, at times, you made it downright quotidian. And was that intentional? Is that is that how you decided to weave your story? Um, kind of. It, it also, I
1: really... Um, I've lived here for quite some time. I actually it was... Um, born and spent my childhood in Southern California. Um, but then I moved to Northern California when I was in middle school and, um, and moved to Santa Rosa when I graduated from high school. And so it's always, it's just part of my world, I guess. And I also just, you know, it's, it's just such a wonderful place to live. Um, I kind of just made it my home, <laughs> and so I think that that's one of the advantages of writing a first book—someplace that you, you know, you do feel so close to—that it 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 allows you to see underneath in a way that if I was writing about a setting that um, was more, you know, unusual for me, um, then it would be harder to do, for sure.
0: Now, as you explained how the story came to be, that Cassie is, is really our only narrator. But she's not entirely on her own as the events of the story unfold. She does call the police. And uh-huh. she's uh, then the detective who's assigned is a man named Detective Rico. Uh-huh. And he's a bit of an enigma. And it, it occurred to me that he might have been a difficult character to write he actually you
1: know he was and um when i wrote you know before i before i queried my agent um i wrote kind of in a bubble and i really wrote for myself i i think you know part of every writer envisions somebody reading their book but i think i'm like i wasn't even sure i was going to try to get it published so i really didn't and i didn't have a critique group or i had you know one early beta reader um And, uh, you know, so I didn't have a lot of feedback, a lot of people weighing in. And so I wasn't sure anyone was going to even read it. So I read it, wrote it for myself. And because of that, he was such a hard character to write because even though I'd worked around law enforcement, you know, as a reporter and then, you know, in journalism, journalism as an editor, I hadn't really... Like interviewed anybody on the police force, anything like that, and so once I got, um, he was even more like of an enigma side character in the first draft that I queried my agent with, and one of the notes my agent gave me is, you know, hey, maybe a more collaborative relationship, and and I thought. Oh yeah, somebody's actually gonna read this now. i better go talk to some police <laughs> officers. And I was very, very fortunate to be able to rely on my my um colleagues to connect me with the retired uh, lieutenant from from um from Santa Rosa Police Department. And so I was able to talk to him at length. I mean we've we've talked for hours and just to talk about, you know, would you do this, would you not? Because I think especially when you write um, you know, detective fiction or th- thriller fiction. You know, where where you're, you know, you're seeing it on TV. You're reading the works of some really fantastic writers, and I just wanted to make Rico somebody who was not influenced by outside sources, but more a person that was a real person, um, behaving the way you know somebody from the San Rosa Police Department would. Um, and so I was able to interview someone and this was for the draft before it was submitted, um, to editors and it made all the difference. I think I did want to make him very enigmatic because, you know, a, uh, you know, somebody, a detective who comes to the scene, they're going to want to be, you know, friendly, to you. I mean, they're going to want to get information from you, but they're not going to really want to share their own information. I mean, that's not their job. So it was trying to find that balance of having him realistically provide her with information without him actually giving her information, which was a little tricky. not going to lie. But um, thankfully, I had, you know, somebody to help me with that part of it. So
0: I think uh at At one point during the course of of uh cassie's adventures and misadventures uh there he begins to have a grudging respect for her uh, and she for him i mean but it is mm-hmm. not it's not a romantic uh relationship they're they're just um, i think it there's just a point at which they realize they might need the input from the other, each needs the input from the other mm-hmm. to get to the next step.
1: Yes, I think also he, um, Rico and Cassie have some things that they grudgingly share, you know, as far as, you know, they're both parents. And you get just a very brief glimpse of that with Rico, you know, that he has children. And and, uh, so I feel like they connect on a lot of levels you know, they, they share some, some common things, but they're also at odds with one another because I mean, Hey, when, when your spouse goes missing, oh yeah. When Sam goes missing, uh, obviously they have to look at her for that. I, you know, and so their, their goals are very different, um, but also the same. And so I think developing that relationship and, and trying to decide, Hey, how much can I trust you? Is kind of the undercurrent of that relationship throughout the book,
0: and Cassie is a little less than cooperative most of the time.
1: She is, yes she she definitely behaves in ways that sometimes get her in trouble for sure. She, um, you know, is afraid, very afraid for her for her husband and and her children, and she also has a little bit of a. Um, complex. Hey, nobody can, nobody can do as good a job for my kids and my family as I can. So I think, and she's also slow to trust. She's, you know, because of who she is and her past, she, she's slow to trust anyway. So she does, she does behave sometimes like um, in ways that maybe she should slow down and, and think it through a little more, but, but she also very much respects, you know, law enforcement and their role in it, um, in, in solving her, her family's, um, situation. But she also, I think has a a little bit of a question in her mind. Can they do it fast enough? (laughs) So, you know, there's, there's a grudging respect and, but then also a, you know, to try to protect the people she loves.
0: She's, uh, she just strike strikes me as, uh, and struck me as I read about her just impatient and, uh, you know, her her motivation, her motivation, is different from the police I think she wants to save her family and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that her her family's put in jeopardy and detective Rico in the Santa Rosa Police Department's objective is to solve the case and those aren't necessarily the same thing right right no bad deed uh, strikes me as a standalone novel but I can't help wonder if any of the characters might return in, in future books, which is a roundabout way of asking you what you're working on now.
1: (laughs) I, the next book is set um, in Southern California, actually, and the central Valley. So totally different locations. So they, they probably won't pop up in book two. The, the, Book Two centers around um, an unemployed uh, underemployed um, single mom who has this opportunity you know to participate in this contest um, that's being sponsored by this eccentric kind of um mysterious. Benefactor, billionaire, and um, she's looking at this as a chance for maybe redemption and to, to... So it's it's sim- it's similar in that it has a strong female protagonist. There's still there's issues of you know obligations to family versus obligations to self, and so there's there's some elements that are the same, but but definitely none of the same characters. <laughs> uh, though though there are some that I have an affinity for that I'm thinking oh if there's only some way I could find a path for one of them in a future novel, but, um, maybe book three.
0: Well, that gives us all something to look forward to. (laughs) Heather, thank you so much for spending time with us, uh, and talking about your debut, uh, No Bad Deed. You know, I'm looking forward to the next book. Does it have a title? It does not. It does not yet. So we'll have to, we'll just have to wait.
1: Yeah, it's just called Very Bad Things Happen in my head.
0: <laughs> but
1: but it, it probably will not stick with that. Thing. <laughs> so,
0: well, yeah. thanks again for your time. Uh, and uh, I wish you the best of luck with this book. It's It's really a roller coaster.
1: Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me.